for the rich family, the last two weeks is a time to start a new season, a new sports season. It is basketball season right now. This year, my son, I probably should have asked their permission before using their names, my son Josiah and Sam are, as I wrote this message, we're trying to make junior varsity and the varsity team for a a local Christian academy. And as I wrote this, tryouts were in about a week. The coaches at UCA are trying to build a team. They're trying to select a team. And then they begin their competition in, the, in their small division in the Minnesota State High School League. In our passage this morning in the book of Luke, the captain, our Lord Jesus Christ, is building a team. He is selecting a team. He's selecting a team that will assist him in his mercy mission to seek and to save the lost. The ministry of Christ, the captain of our souls, the ministry of Christ has already begun in the book of Luke, but not in full, not in force, for a team is about to form a a brand new community that would take the mercy ministry of the new covenant, the new wine of the forgiveness of the new covenant, of a real inward change of the new covenant would take that mercy ministry forward into the church age. The team is forming. So let's read about team mercy. Let's explore the beginnings of this new community that Jesus will choose and that Jesus will train throughout the gospel of Luke. And let us remember as we see this team, that there is an opposite team with a different captain, the great accuser of the brethren, the enemy of our souls. And there's opposition that will be increasing even in Luke chapter 6, as this new team is chosen and begins to be equipped and begins to get in the game. And there's a mighty battle that's going to be taking place throughout the book of Luke. Jesus is not going to be alone. He's going to be assisted by his team as he begins in earnest now to seek and to save lost and outcast sinners. Let's read about Team Mercy in Luke chapter 6. If you're not there, take your Bibles. If you're visiting here, welcome. We're jumping into Luke chapter 6. 
Please find verse 12, and we will read this morning through verse 19. Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 12. It was at this time that he, that's Jesus, that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples, and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. So Luke, he's a good historian, Luke, the historian, details for us the beginning, really the official launching of the Messiah's mercy ministry of salvation. Okay, the team members are selected, and they're going to begin work with the team captain, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now imagine this, to think this thought. Hundreds of years later, to imagine that we too were called by Jesus to be a part of this team, part of this ministry of new covenant mercy. Such a wonderful thought when there's only two teams in this universe, one with a pretty nasty captain and the other one with the captain of our souls, Jesus, to be a part of his team is an incredibly wonderful thought. So let's look at the team building and launch of Christ's official ministry this morning under two headings. We're going to look at Team Mercy's members, Team Mercy's members, and then we're going to look at Team Mercy's mission. Okay, first let's look at the members of Team Mercy and then the mission of Team Mercy. So first then the team members are chosen. The team members have chosen the prayerful choice, the prayerful choice of the apostles in verses 12 through 16. Okay, so how did Jesus choose his team? Notice first then Jesus praying. 
Notice him praying in verse 12. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, in verse 12. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. Jesus, Team Mercy's members are chosen by Jesus through prayer. Jesus praying. And I want you to notice three aspects of this prayer. Three aspects. Number one, notice the timing. The timing of the prayer. The timing of the prayer. The text says in verse 12, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray. At this time. So, the last verse is verse 11. What time was it? Look at verse 11. Verse 11 reads, But they themselves, that's the Pharisees, that's the other team members who are opposed to Jesus Christ. Verse 11, But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. I'm going to take them down. Already in Luke chapter 6. So, Jesus went off to the mountain to pray when? At the time of intense opposition. That's the timing. That's when he prayed. If you look back one verse, the time of intense opposition, Jesus prayed. What do you do in your life when opposition arises? when difficulty and opposition arise? Answer, we ought to pray. We ought to pray like never before. So the timing of the prayer in this context is rising opposition when you look backward. But if you look forward for the timing, just one verse, you can see something interesting in verse 13 about the timing of his prayer. Okay? So he went to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also named as apostles. And so the timing of Jesus' prayer, when he prays to his heavenly Father, the timing of his prayer is not only in the context of hardship and opposition, the timing of his prayer was before a big, huge Decision, a big decision. Who are those 12 going to be? Remember that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. 100% God, 100% man. So, in respect to His humanity, listen carefully, in respect to His humanity, before, Jesus didn't know of that multitude of disciples following him who to choose. In respect to his humanity, he did not possess. In respect to his humanity, Jesus Christ 
did not possess this knowledge. As one has said, quotes, and his unaided knowledge was not sufficient to know whom to choose, end quotes. All kinds of disciples following Jesus right now. Father, which of these are going to be your 12 apostles? Which one of the perhaps hundreds of those who would be following him and clamoring to his every word? Which one, Father? I'm going to spend all kinds of time investing in them and equipping them for ministry. Father, show me who it is. Who will this be? Lord, help me to know whom you have chosen to be your 12 apostles. That's incredible to think about this. In respect to his humanity, our Lord Jesus Christ depended on his Father for wisdom, for direction, for, for strength in this decision, in the midst of great opposition. <laughs> if Jesus the God-man depended on his heavenly Father to seek his will before big decisions, how much more should we? How much more should we? Let me ask you a question. Are you facing any opposition right now? Are you facing any difficulty right now? Do you have any big decisions to make right now? Pray. Read the word to be instructed in wisdom, yes, before a decision. Ask for godly advice from mature Christians, yes, before a decision. But both the reading of the word of God and the asking of advice and all of that and all of that other stuff must be bathed and surrounded by depending upon the Lord in prayer. That is the timing of the prayer. Notice, secondly, the setting of the prayer. Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. He went up to the mountain to pray. Did he bring anyone with him? No. Jesus was alone. The location was a mountain in aloneness with his God. Jesus doesn't go alone to get information from God or to get something from God. Fundamentally for Jesus, prayer was being with being with his heavenly Father. It was communing with him. He is not interested in the Pharisees hearing about him going alone to pray, to see how holy he is. He's not interested in any appearance before other people. He's interested in being alone with his heavenly Father. It was his communion with his Father. It was pure relationship for Jesus to pray, pure fellowship. It was... It was pure joy for him. It was the source of his power in respect to his humanity. He depended upon his God in prayer. That is the setting. He's alone in relationship. So we see the timing of his prayer, the setting of his prayer. Look at the length of his prayer at verse 12. How long did Jesus pray? Did you notice it? 
Verse 12, it was at this time he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called all the disciples to himself, and he chose 12 of them. Must have been a big decision. All night he spent in prayer, the length of his prayer, so unique, so important, the entire night. And the Greek word for this emphasizes a continuous, energetic prayer, pouring out his heart to his heavenly Father. Was it cold out there? He still prayed. Was he hungry? He still prayed. Was he tired? He still begged his Lord. He prayed in respect to his humanity. This is the God-man begging his Father all night long for wisdom and help depending upon him. In respect to his humanity, he prayed all night long. Was this a big decision? Well, old covenant to new covenant kind of stuff in the plan of the ages. The twelve apostles who would take and be the new Israel, the remnant of believers who would take the truth into the church age were going to be chosen. Wow! A little something to choose the next morning. All night he was in prayer. Why? It wasn't out of routine that he prayed. It wasn't out of trying to be good in front of other people. It wasn't out of obligation. It was out of dependence and need and depending upon his heavenly Father. He needed help from his heavenly Father. If Jesus needed help and depended on his heavenly Father, then I need help, and I need to depend on my heavenly Father, and you do as well. If you haven't figured it out, we need help. We need help. We're hurting. The more I grow as a Christian, the more I realize I don't have the wisdom I don't, I don't know how to raise my nine children. I don't know how to be a godly husband. I don't know how to be a faithful pastor. I don't know which activity to sign up for and which activity to not sign up for. I don't know how to manage tomorrow's schedule. I'm utterly dependent on my God. We just got to get to the point where we just simply need Him. We're broken. We're clueless. Lord, please help me. Give me wisdom. Give me strength. And in doing so, you're begging to be like Jesus. Like the God-man. It's incredible to me. I'm, we're so busy carving out time to think about our decisions, we have put aside prayer for those decisions. So, if, as you carve out in your schedule time to meet with your God in prayer, praying the Scriptures, getting before Him and spending time begging Him for help, communing with Him in the Word, as you carve out time for that, 
You are not wasting your day. You are not wasting your life. You're doing the one needful thing that Mary of all knew about. You sit at the feet of Jesus. You commune with Him, getting wisdom from His Word. Schedule number one, that is what you do. That's a very biblical emphasis, and that's why we have begun Wednesday night focused prayer meetings at Grace Community Bible Church, where we just we have devotions in the Word of God, they're short, and then we are t- learning to pray. We're learning to gather as a church and beg God together for help as a church. It's important. That is why we do this. The God-man needed prayer, so do we. I wish we could understand, I wish I could understand that humble, dependent Prayer taps into the wisdom and power of God. And that's what we're going to see in this text because all night prayer in that context leads to Jesus not only praying, which is how he chose, but uh, who did he choose then after prayer for his team? Let's look at Jesus choosing in verse 13. Okay. Verse 13, and when day came... He called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also named as apostles. So let's look at uh, the 12 apostles that Jesus chose after a night of prayer. Remember, he's building his team, Team Mercy. Let's read verses 14 through 16 of our passage. Okay, so he named these men as apostles. He chose 12 of them, Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So let's look at four Uh, four aspects of the 12 that are chosen. Maybe, I think it's three aspects. I apologize. Number one, the sequence of the 12. Let's look at his team members. Okay, he chose his team. Let's look at them. Uh, Number one, the sequence of the 12. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. The 12 apostles are named four times in the New Testament scriptures. And Peter is always first on the list, probably indicating his leadership among those leaders, a leader among leaders. And then Judas Iscariot is always listed last. You think? In the first four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John are always in the top four, but they're in different orders. So that's the sequence of the 12. There's something to be learned from that, but let's move quickly on to a more important point. Number two, then, as we look at the team members, the ordinary among the 12. The ordinary among the 12. Now, I want you to notice just how boring and ordinary these men were. Okay? The first four... Uh, chosen apostles of Jesus Christ, the first four were fishermen without formal educations. And probably, if you do your homework, 
a little bit of a temper. Probably all of them. Sons of thunder and stuff like that. So the first four are fishermen. You have some disciples here who struggle with ongoing doubts. Think of doubting Thomas. You've got one of the disciples that was chosen that absolutely hated Rome and maybe probably made that hatred official by being part of the party of the zealots. On the other hand, you got one of the disciples who had sold out to Rome in his greedy heart and was one of the tax collectors. How's that for both ends of the political spectrum? How's that for a message to us about the power of Christianity, the power of the gospel for reconciliation? Incredible how ordinary these men are, how different they are. I mean, one's, as one has said, Peter the optimist, Thomas the pessimist. I mean, these chosen men, were they from the elite, the scribes, the lawyers, the religious leaders of that day? Were they highly educated with their biblical studies, Ph.D.? Not that there's anything wrong with that. Were they chosen from the elite? Were they famous? Were they wealthy? Were they powerful? I can see someone saying if they think this through a whole night of prayer and you chose this bunch. (laughs) This is the team that Jesus built, brothers and sisters. This is the team. As we look at people, listen, as we look at people in our lives, may we value Not what the world values. Not what the world sees. May we not be driven by externals, but may we look like our God looks at the heart. Will the success of the mercy mission of our Lord Jesus Christ, will the building of His church Will the growth of Grace Community Bible Church and what we're trying to do right here, right now, in this day, will all of that be, be somehow dependent uh, on our learning or our greatness or our intellect or our speaking ability or our paychecks or our power? Will it be? No. Brothers and sisters, it's not dependent on us. It's not about us. It's the power of the Spirit of the living God that is pleased to use broken jars of clay like us for His glory to build His kingdom and His church. Listen to the prophet Zechariah in chapter 4 and verse 6. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. Not by might or by power, But by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. These are ordinary people. And that's being generous. 
Number three, as we look at the team members, the importance of the 12. The importance of the 12. Well, the text says that they are called apostles. So verse 13 says, now work with me here. Just I want you to see this. And when the day came, verse 13, okay, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he named as apostles. Okay, so there's this big group of people called disciples. You see it? And out of that pile of disciples, 12 were chosen to be apostles. Did you see that? That'll become important later on in the next few sermons. But I want you to see that, that that's happening here. So that these are a distinction, a specific group out of those who were at that time followers of Jesus Christ, listening to him, trying to learn from him. And these were named apostles. They were disciples, but they were a special class of disciples named apostles. How many were there? There were 12. Okay, we'll get to that someday. The word apostle, what does it mean? The word apostle is a commissioned representative, a commissioned representative of someone or something. There are I like to say, and I'm going to have to go quickly, there are apostles with a small a, apostles, in the New Testament, and there are apostles with a big capital letter A, apostles. In other words, there were apostles, small a, in, beyond the 12 in the New Testament church. They were commissioned representatives of a local church. So, we have an apostle of Grace Community Bible Church. I would say that would be a missionary, someone sent out from the church to represent that church. And in that sense, any missionary could, although I wouldn't recommend it, it's confusing, be called a small a apostle, a sent out one from that church. But these 12 men are a special subclass of apostles. They were sent out ones. They represented not a local church. They represented Jesus Christ. They were capital A, apostles of Jesus Christ. Not of local churches, but apostles of Jesus Christ. They were His 12 commissioned, chosen representatives. And according to the Old Testament background of that word apostle, these sent-out ones, as the scholar Bach says, are quotes, this representative acts as one with authority equal to the sender, end quotes. Wow. Wow. The Mishnah, I don't know, some commentary in the Hebrew of the Old Testament, the Mishnah phrases the concept of apostle as this, quotes, the one sent by the man, sent by the man, is as the man himself, end quotes. So, these 12 men are going to represent the authority of Jesus as the man himself with the authority of Christ himself. They're not doing it on day one. Trust me. but they will be. 
For this group of men will have the authority of Christ himself, and as one has said, will be called to function as his representatives and mouthpiece for the message of the kingdom. So in a sense, you've got the 12 tribes of Israel, and now the 12 tribes of Israel, you have the 12 apostles, and those 12 apostles are going to represent the remnant of, of Israel, the Israel of God, who would spread the name and fame of Jesus Christ in the power of His Holy Spirit, first to Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the, the other ends of the earth. Yes, these men were absolutely ordinary, frankly misfits, depending on the power of Christ in prayer, but they were important. They were Christ's team in God's plan, who through the power of Christ would do extraordinary things and establish and establishing the church in the power of the spirit of the living God in transition from old covenant to new covenant an apostle of Jesus Christ with his authority Paul says I am the last of the apostles not of missionaries not small a the last of the apostles of Jesus Christ, who's as the man himself with his authority in the transition of old to new covenant. There are 12. Paul, born in an untimely fashion, saw the risen Christ. I am the least, he said, and the last of the apostles of Jesus Christ. So we have seen the sequence of the 12, the ordinary among the 12, and I think, on the other hand, the importance of the 12, but it's sobering as we, our fourth aspect of this team. Notice number four, the traitor among the 12. The traitor among the 12, last on the list, his name is Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. I'm not going to talk a lot about this right now. Maybe I shouldn't talk at all. But this is so humbling to me. Now, listen, I was reading, I'm reading Pilgrim's Progress with the kids, and we got to the part where there's a silver mine. There's a silver mine with money in it, silver mine, and a man named Demas stands outside the silver mine, beckoning others to come into that silver mine to get the money on the way that leads to life, to the celestial city. This name, man named Demas is a man who was a church planter. For many years, he traveled with the Apostle Paul. He planted churches. But then near the end of Paul's ministry, Paul says this about Demas. He says, first of all, and I think at the end of Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. Why? For Demas having loved the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas was among the team. Judas Iscariot was among the team. They were cut out of the same worldly, greedy cloth. Impossible to identify until the end. Was God sovereign over the choice of Judas Iscariot as one of the 12 apostles? Will Judas be held responsible for his desertion of the living Christ? 
I think we don't want to go like this to Judas. I think a heart says, oh, Lord, I don't want to be a traitor. I don't want to quit the team. Oh, I won't quit the team. It's not about me. If I have to hold on to the team, I will not make it. For he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He will keep me by the power of God for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day through faith. He will pray for me that my faith will not fail. That's what we ought to say when we consider Demas of old and Judas Iscariot of old. So, we see the team members, right? The team members have been chosen. We see the team mercies members. And now, let's look at the team mercies mission. The mission as we see the team members coming with Jesus, a powerful curing with the apostles in verses 17 through 19. And we're going to go quickly through this. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured, and all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. So, now I've got my chosen team members. We're going in to the first event. What is the game plan? For Team Mercy. Well, let me make a note here. It doesn't look the, like the apostles are getting any playing time yet. Did you notice that? Jesus is doing everything. They're with him. They're being trained. They're, being, they're watching. They're with him. And Jesus then carries out the mission of Team Mercy at this point directly. And that mission is found in verse 18. All those who had come to hear him, teach to hear him, and to be healed of their diseases. And he was healing them all. Okay? So, I want you then to look at just a few aspects here of, of Team Mercy's mission. Number one, notice whom, whom he cured. Notice whom he cured. Okay, I'm not going to cover this right now. I just want you to be aware that there's three groups of people that we're going to need to be aware of. Okay? There's the whole crowd, right, from everywhere, coming from all kinds of areas, just everywhere. And then there's the disciples, a smaller group, but a big, huge group. It says, I mean, the text actually says about the disciples, um, let's see. A large crowd of his disciples. Did you know there are a lot of disciples? Twelve apostles of those disciples. And a great throng of people. Luke wants us to see just how successful it appears the ministry of Christ is from the very beginning. Great throngs from everywhere. Why did he end up alone, naked, hanging bloody upon a tree? 
So notice whom he cured. There's going to be a lot of disciples and people there, and it really seems like there's a lot of early success in the first game of the season with his new team. Notice secondly, and now more importantly, as we think about Team Mercy's mission, is why he cured. Whom he cured? Number two, why he cured. Verse 18. Well, they were sick. Those had come to hear him, right, and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. This, I think, is an important word that shows us the very heart of the mercy ministry and mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the word troubled. Troubled with unclean spirits. Why did Jesus heal? Because there were those who were troubled and Jesus cared. They were troubled. This is a unique word. Listen, the word troubled there, I think, would be a good translation, would be unrest. And it's meant to stand as a contrast between the Sabbath rest that Jesus brings in in the near context. And so Jesus, in his mission with Team Mercy, is going for the troubled the frantic, the people who are resting and they're troubled not only physically by diseases and, and they're, not only, they're troubled in their mind by even demonic forces, but they're troubled most fundamentally by sin in their souls. They're deeply troubled and ashamed and burdened by their sin. They are a troubled people and Jesus cares. That's at the very heart of the mission of Team Mercy is to go after the troubled, the spiritually troubled, the needy. No wonder Jesus starts his sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit. He goes for the troubled, the heart of Christianity. But there's more about why he healed. Well, he, because he felt sympathy and compassion towards troubled people. He longed to heal. He loved to heal. It's the very heart of Christ. Matthew chapter 9, verse 39. Just listen. Matthew 9, verse 39. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And that's why the text says he would heal them all in verse 19. Any who were sick, he'd touch them, he'd identify with them, he'd sweat over them, he'd look them in the eye, he cared for them. They were a troubled people. And he was in, this was what he was called to do. Watch men, watch men. You're not ready yet. Soon I will send you out. Oh, Jesus, could you believe the demons would come out? Stop. Be happy that your names are written in the book of life.
Jesus healed the trouble because he was gentle and lowly of heart, and he longs to show mercy to needy sinners. The troubled are the needy beggars, beggars for mercy, dead in trespasses who know they're dead. The mission of mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and his church is a mission for the troubled people, troubled in soul. And I'll tell you, Jesus is willing to heal us. <laughs> That's why he healed. Third, how? How did he cure? Verse 19 says, and all the people were trying to touch him. Why? Look at verse 19. It's interesting. They're trying to touch him. For, why? For power was coming from him. For power was coming from him and healing them all. So this is exciting. Our captain of our souls, our Lord and Savior, has power. Amen? Because you got nothing. But he has power. That's exciting to me. He cured by his power. The power in respect to the God-man and his being a real man, that power was the power of the Holy Spirit working through the God-man as he depends upon the Father in prayer. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Write this reference down. I want you to, to make this connection. Acts 10, verse 38. You know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Why? For God was with him. And so this is power to heal physically. But we know that the physical healings of the body were a, are always a picture in Luke of a bigger salvation, a spiritual healing from sin itself. When helpless, needy sinners, when helpless, needy sinners have their hearts in the day of God's power softened to see their need and to believe the truth of the gospel, then God in the day of power passes them out of death to life, forgives them of all of their sins, imputes or gifts or gives the righteousness of Jesus to them, and they are born from above, and that is all accomplished by the power of God. This is Team Jesus, to seek and to save the lost. This is Team Mercy. It's about the power of Christ. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, the 12 apostles specifically, and then to the Gentiles. Don't miss the emphasis on the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't, don't miss the power of the Lord Jesus Christ can heal your body. Don't miss that your oppressed mind by the power of darkness and, and being troubled even by demons and demon thoughts. Your mind can be healed by the power of Christ. And don't miss that the body and the mind are a picture of the deep of the soul of man. And that Jesus Christ has power to actually free our souls forever. The power from sin itself. His power saves us all the way. Body, soul, and spirit. This is the power of Team Mercy. We see Team Mercy's 
members, and this is the ministry of Team Mercy. Well, I would think the first game went quite well. So far, so good. Let me just wrap this up. Let's get excited now. You are a part of the team. Christian, you're a part of the team. You remember the days in the pickup games, right, on the playground? You had two team captains. This one chooses this one. That one chooses that one. That one chooses that one. That one chooses that one. And then there's some people left over. They don't feel really good. Because, you know, why did the, those team captains choose those people? Because of skill. Guess what? Our Lord Jesus doesn't work that way. He chose us. <laughs> he chose us. Listen, was it because he chose you because of something in you, some goodness or talent or skill? Absolutely not. How about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26? Paul reminds us, For consider your calling, brethren. Just let this soak in. For there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God's chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. For by his doing, by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And as pastors, Second Corinthians, Paul writes this in chapter 4, verse 5, we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, God is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not ourselves. Why did Paul have the thorn in his flesh? God never answered that prayer for healing. Because 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses and with insults and with distresses and persecutions and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God is and throughout history is using and will use a bunch of nobodies. Of nobodies. Well, or at least of those who renounce their somebody and become in humility nobody before a thrice holy God. How will you know that it is true of you that you've come to that place even in your walk as a Christian. Are you ready? Prayer. Prayer is when we know that we are dependent nobodies and that is when we have power. We will know it when we pray that we are participating 
in the new, in this mission of mercy in the new covenant. For prayer leads to new covenant power. Prayer is us depending upon God. Do you want to pray yet? You're part of that team, and his team will win. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of interest. His team will win. Number two, just as we apply this, there's 12 apostles there. But you know what? At the end, who was really with him with those disciples as Jesus hung upon the tree? Who was there? Not many. There were some, some women there. But when opposition came, when opposition was coming, and a big decision lie before our Lord Jesus Christ, he prayed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And that cup was the cross of Calvary. And that cup is hinted in our passage at the traitor, the traitor named Judas Iscariot. And Jesus was handed over through Judas to the hour of darkness. And let me tell you something about power and humility welding together in the person of Christ. When do you think the glory of Christ was most prominent? When do you think the power of Christ was put on display? When our Lord Jesus Christ closed His mouth. He could call legions of angels, but He closed His mouth. And he went to that tree and he took upon himself in his own body the wrath of God for sinners like us and consumed it in six hours. That is power. It is power that said, it is finished. And his power was proven when he burst forth from the grave. His power was vindicated. And he said, as an alive, as alive before his 12 apostles, it is said to them, all power has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them and teach them to do everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you all the day, even to the end of the age. You think our team will win? Let me tell you one other thing about that, because some days it doesn't feel like that. Is there still opposition against the church? Will the apostles' foundation of the church crumble? Will Christ win in history? Well, how about this? Revelation chapter 21, verse 13. Speaking of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God to earth. In the end, future, verse 13 says, there will be three gates on the east and the three gates on the north and three gates on the south and three gates on the west and the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Their foundation will hold. The church will rise. She will not be defeated. The powers of hell will not defeat the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And neither any of its living stones built upon the cornerstone. We will be kept by the power of God until the end. The names of the apostles are written on the new Jerusalem to come. Take heart, Christian. 
take heart in Christ. But I'll tell you what, you better be a part of his team. You do not want to be a part of the other team. Do you know who the captain is? It's the devil. Whose team are you on? How do you get on his team? Verse 19, and all the people were trying to touch him. All the people were trying to touch him. For power is coming out of them. Let me tell you, you must touch Jesus. You must be touched by Jesus. You must have connection to Jesus. You can't just look at him and say, isn't it cool that he can heal? You can't. You've got to touch Jesus. You have to be touched by him. You have to. You have to be connected to him by faith. And he will save you. He will give you everything you need, full forgiveness, his righteousness, his power, the spirit, a new heart. You must touch Jesus. Touch him this morning. Touch him. Believe his message. Trust into him. The touch of faith. Don't just watch others be touched by Christ. Like the leper of old, who went to Jesus and Jesus said and stretched out his hand and touched him. And he'll touch you and he'll say this to you, I am willing. And here's his power. Be cleansed. The power of the cross. Father, thank you for your word, for this wonderful passage. We needed to hear it. Bless us now as we sing this wonderful song in response to it. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.